Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Welcome everybody to This Week in Games, episode 184. We have a special guest. Laura Taranto, welcome to the show. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and what do you do? What have you done before? Um, so that people have a little bit of a context because you've been in the industry for a while. I have. So I've been, I've been in uh, casual, mostly mobile games for about 12 years now. I actually started in New York and at the moment I'm in New York. So I'm actually ha having this conversation with you now from New York. Uh, I was born and raised here, but in the last for the last about 10-ish years, I've actually been in Europe. So I lived briefly in Germany working for VUGA. That's how I know Adam Telfer. Um, and then after that, I was I moved to London, was at King King London working on Farm Heroes. And now I'm working for Big Fish on Evermerge, where I'm I'm based out of London, but coming to the, the States quite frequently. Welcome to the show. It's it's nice to have you here. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. welcome your yes. input. I'm, I'm looking Dude. forward to, to the insight that you have to share. That's how you, that's how you welcome someone oh. to the show, man. That was a yeah. very good welcome. Um, I feel, Mishka, I feel you very are the welcome. Most... Thank you. Mishka. Yeah. Mishka. Laura. 
Awesome to have you here. But before we move on to the most important news, we got to cover the basketball brawl news from Eric Crest. <laughs> what is going on in your personal yeah. life? Because that is really the uh, <laughs> what carries the show from one episode That's to another. <laughs> You know, I, I, I have two versions of this. One is the long version and one is the short version. And one thing I hate about podcasts is when coasts just start talking about personal shit for the first 20 <laughs> minutes of the podcast. And so I really want to avoid that. But this is a huge event. But so the short version is basically we finally beat this team that we have lost to a dozen times over the last four years. They're called the I'm not going to tell the name, but um but the parents of this team went absolutely nuts because we beat these guys in the championships. And, and what happened was, is they attacked our coaches. The coaches <laughs> defended themselves. And then this absolute melee brawl happened, right? Wait, Where, wait, wait. Hold, hold on, hold on, Eric. This Eric. court. So when you say attack, yeah. you mean physically attacked, not verbally attacked. Physically attacked. Oh, so my God. These, 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 uh, these parents are freaking lunatics. They've been lunatics forever. And they've actually been banned from competitions <laughs> over the last year. And they were just brought back because of these parents, primarily. Not The kids are actually nice. They're amazing players, by the way. But anyway, so they, they grabbed one of our coaches, and our coach just swung at him, and, and, and just melee broke out. And it was like, it wasn't even in our court. It wasn't, like, isolated. It was, like... It was like a high school dance and it was like everywhere in the entire gym. These people are running around. Women were hitting our coaches with, with uh, their purses, throwing water <laughs> bottles at people, cold talking. I mean, it was, it was a mess, dude. It was like the worst thing that could happen in, in, in AAU or, or any type of competitive type sports. And it was, it was horrific. And so all I was doing was trying to get the kids the hell out of there because I was a target too, because I was talking a little bit of trash to these parents. So I was like, I'm getting, I'm getting my kid and I'm getting my kids that I'm responsible out, out of there, right? Um, but, uh, but anyway, that's the short version. There's a longer version, that, but I, I think that's good enough for <laughs> what we need to talk about. Um, but everyone was fine. Our, 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 my coaches, coaches were a little bit beat up, but, uh, but hopefully that will never happen again. And I doubt we will see this team ever again. So um, anyway, uh, that was it. I can go on and on and on, but I won't. Sounds like, um, sounds like fun. <laughs> I mean, that's my kind of ba basketball <laughs> tournament. Oh. This shit gets real, you know, and, <laughs> and, and evidently it does get more and more intense as they get older mm -hmm. obviously in high school where it gets super competitive and people are you know trying to get into colleges and stuff but uh and people take this shit pretty seriously but you know i'm I, i'm all about peace yeah yeah all yeah, yeah clearly all right uh suford you're you're an ma you're an mau right no no i've been on the road for like three weeks i was in san francisco three weeks ago uh doing uh like a uh uh presentation to a bunch of institutional investors i met up with crest we had lunch it was nice uh thank you crest paid and drove me to palo alto thank you um then last week i was in new york uh for the luma digital marketing summit luma is like a media investment bank um great event very very grateful for the invitation i got to uh host a panel on uh mobile marketing with some very impressive folks um, but that, that event was just top notch. They had the CEO of Yahoo was there talking about their business. Um, they had the VP of platform relationships from Google who made some, who, who broke some news at the conference. He said, they don't think that they're going to meet the deadline that they imposed for themselves for deprecating third-party cookies. That's 2023. So they're kicking that can down the road again. 
Uh, and that, to, wow. my, to my knowledge, that was news. That that broke at the event. There's a lot of press there. Um, so that was fun. And then today I'm in Vegas. I did the programmatic IO event yesterday, gave a, gave a keynote. That was very nice. It was a very well-organized event. And then in two weeks, I'm going to MAU in Vegas again. So I'm, I'm a road warrior this month. And then, uh, and then I'm not doing any more travel for the rest of the year, I hope. Dude, your wife is going to kick your ass, man. Dude, my wife wouldn't let me go. What barely wanted me to go to Turkey, dude. That's like travel for three months straight. No, I know. This is great. I know. We had, we had, a, we, there was, there was quite a bit of. She's a saint. Well, there was a lot of horse trading involved. So, like, she, she, uh, she's, she's built up a lot of political capital. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Should we dive in to the news? All right. Let's. Let's dive in. I have uh, one quick correction on app loving. Um, so I got a little pushback on some of the stuff I was saying. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I don't think I articulated it as well as I had wanted to. But first of all, their acquisition of Mopub was brilliant, right? And this somewhat limits them, their need for this content fortress nonsense, which I'd love to get Eric's, you know, real like expert opinion on. So part of that, that that's one of the big reasons they're moving away from game development. So, um, but uh Sorry, but then, um, sorry. But again, what drives me crazy about this is kind of the bait and switch of it. And that's that's the point I really wanted to make. Like they claim to be a uh, software as a service business to, and command these 30 times revenue multiples at peak or whatever. And then they apply the same multiple to gaming revenue, which they've, they, they acknowledge the fact is like a 5% margin business, right? So now that it's inconvenient, they're dumping the games business, and now they're saying, "Well, you know, let, let let's get back to the old valuations type thing." It's, it's just a classic bait and switch type thing, right? Um, and then finally, like I guess the one point I didn't make that I really wanted to make is that I fundamentally don't think that ad tech is actually software as a service. I know I've said this before, but this is what drives me insane, right? These ad tech is they don't you don't establish long term relationships with the consumer, you know, the the B two B type thing, right? The consumer or the UA people are fickle. They move from one thing to another based upon performance almost immediately, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like a subscription service like Azure or AWS in which you're tied to that system, to that ecosystem, right? And switching costs are high. That is not the case for UA. So there's no defendability around UA, that type of thing. And so that's not a service. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and the big thing I keep saying over and over again, and this is back to the Apple thing, and I'm and I, I, dumping on Apple is obviously something I just love to do, but... They have no control over the platforms by which they are participating. This is the biggest thing. You are at the mercy of Apple and Google. And this may create insane challenges for a business, right? And that is not the same for most software as a service, Salesforce, AWS, Azure. You have control over your own platform, right? And so that's why they never should have gotten these multiples to begin with, whether it's Unity, IronSource, AppLovin, or any of these things. And, and that was the sign of, of of the times of this this is this crazy type valuations thing so that's what i really wanted to kind of say i want to say that app Lovin, i did say this but i want to say it again app Lovin has managed to do this amazingly i mean they are brilliant 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 operators and really really smart and and that mopub acquisition was brilliant but but they're fighting a battle they can't win because they have no control over the over this the uh the underlying systems that we're talking about. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say. I'm curious about the uh, the, the app loving dumping games aspect because <sighs> you know app loving in the type of games they've been making and how they've been using their um, knowledge or data they've collected through through the um, through their ad tech through their you know attribution and 
mediation platforms. Um, so I'm, what I'm trying to say is, did they drop the games business because the IDFA deprecation took away their core competence of, of you know, being a little bit of a head in the data compared to the uh, the competitors and being able to fast follow. And now that they weren't able to fast follow so efficiently, they just decided to drop it altogether. Am I onto something or am I just hypothesizing? Uh, it could uh, no. be. It could, it, it could be. I think – so my – here's my hypothesis. But the problem is my hypothesis actually – would 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 uh, portend badly for App Eleven. So if if the games business is just facing headwinds because of the changing privacy environment, and they're un- unable to grow those games. So keep in mind, App Eleven has a UA team. They buy ads on Facebook for their games. Like they have a growth team that does UA for their first party games, right? And so if they just see that business as being fundamentally challenged now, and the margins were always low, right? Um, and they want to jettison that business. Well, what, what hope is there for the advertisers on the platform? Right? Like if oh, they can't, what, that's what I said last week. <laughs> well, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, sorry. Okay. I, I was, I didn't listen. I was, I was flying around, but, uh-huh. um, but so that, that, that would be really bad news. Right. And I think they, they would, they would want very much for that not to be the dominant narrative. Now the other narrative, which also is probably not great uh, optically is yeah, we, the, the data from those, and this is what all, this is what all of finance believes. This is what all institutional investors believe. Is this 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 second narrative, which is that actually the games produced a lot of valuable data, um, and they were willing to kind of take a hit there and drive like low margin revenue, and in some cases invest unprofitably because that data was helpful for the ad the ad platform, the software business. Um, right. But now they don't need that data because Mopub provides it, right? Not Mopub, right? Because they they shuttered right. Mopub. Mopub is is thrown away. It was discarded completely. That's what they announced last quarter in, in the earnings, that they paid $210 million just to move people from Mopup to Max. And now this new basis of uh, supply and all, and all that publisher data basically uh, replicates the value that they were getting out of the first-party content data, and they don't need it. But the problem with making that point is they probably own more than 50% of all in-game impression supply now as a result of having basically uh, bought those publishers from Mopub. And no one wants to hear that all that data is being used to, to, to enrich their software platform, right? Like that's an uncomfortable idea that, that this <laughs> Mopub data, that all these publishers are basically surrendering this data uh, to be used for uh, for other advertisers and other publishers, right? Like it's, it's not, it's not, the, the yield management aspect of that is like a loss leader. It's actually the data that they're getting value out of. And the reason it's so profoundly valuable is because they own such a big chunk of the market. There's potentially like regulatory issues there. And there's just competitive issues wh- where people are saying, you know what? I don't want to give Apple up in my data. I'm going to go use XYZ other uh, offering. So I think like either of those narratives right. is not great optically for Apple. So, so basically this creates another risk for Apple Levin. Right, is that people kind of balk at the idea of having all this data provided to them, and they move on to other networks? Is that the way well, to interpret it? On, like they want yeah, to get they, off Mopub? Well, there's, again, there's no Mopub anymore. It's just Max, but they'd want to I, get I, off. Sorry, get off. Yeah, yeah. Move, move, but, move. After this 200 million, you know, like, <laughs> you know, 200 million, you know, like a year from now, <laughs> it's like, fuck off. They, I'm going moving on. Right. It, it could be, but I, I can't. Like, I can't perceive and I, I mean i don't know it'd be cool to hear this from app love and like what other narrative is there because how could you just do a complete 180 <laughs> like that they were saying this for years that the games business was vitally important because it provided this data and so okay either 
the games business is just generally fundamentally challenged. And then all the advertisers are going to feel that pain. And then the software revenues are going to drop or they're getting the data from somewhere else. And that's just going to be very uncomfortable for a lot of other people. So like, I, I would like to hear like, what's the third option? I question your objectivity, Mr. Seifert, right? Because you've been banking on this bullshit about Content Fortress for the last two years. Now, the big player with the Content Fortress is now off the table, dude, because they're like, we don't need any of that, right? So anyway, well, I'm no, just joking. I'm, well, no, but, but, but the other thing is, like, they, they didn't actually say that they're getting rid of the business wholesale. They said they may sell some titles. They may not, right? They, they just said it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's on the table. They, didn't, they, they haven't – so my sense is, like, they probably get rid of some of the – uh, the titles that um, were sort of like less profitable to promote. And the thing is who they still, they don't need them in part because who are those titles going to use for mediation? Like you sell the title to someone else. Who are they going to use for mediation? Max is now the dominant offering. I know. All right. All right. All right. Let's move on. I think we've talked enough about app loving. Sorry. Brilliant guys. Good luck. Tough market. Apple's evil. Moving on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Always with that one. Uh, all right. Uh, I want to do a correction of my own as well. So um, last episode, we talked about Brain Trust. That was the uh, originally the article wrote written by Joachim Ockren and Elite Game Developers. Then Adam covered it. I think I had something on it. Then I wrote a newsletter piece on it. And um, anyway, let, let me go to the correction. So what I said in the, lose, what in the newsletter was that Brain Trust meetings, so these meetings that brought in together... Uh, creators to give each other uh, feedback without actually having the power to influence, but because everybody's respected, then that feedback is taken well, and that improved the creative process. Anyways, these brain trust meetings at King inevitably included executives, head of studios, game directors from other projects, and so forth. And this turned the meetings into a political dog and pony shows, where presenters, instead of searching for feedback, attempted to put their projects in a favorable light to earn resources. In this setting, members of the brain trust were incentivized in the downfall of the presenter's project as it would open an opportunity to grab resources from the presenter's team. Now, I made this assumption and it was actually incorrect. Uh, I was corrected by someone who was who used to be working at King and was very high up in the organization uh, attending these meetings. And he said that the real reason is that senior leadership at King never really embraced the brain trust process. Apparently, you know, uh, the organization was quite conflict adverse and they didn't really want to kill projects. Uh, so there was a committee that essentially reviewed projects. So instead of, instead of driven by this uh, transparent project, the calls to kill projects was done by single person. And it, on the contrary, as I thought, the studio heads never really lobbied for other projects to be killed to gain staffing because King was willing to hire as much as anyone wanted uh, and had reasonable plans. So, the main issue why the brain trust did not work at King, according to this anonymous source, was that despite the company projecting the, being very inclusive in all the processes and very open, very Swedish in that sense, uh, there was still one person at the top of the pyramid that essentially made all the decisions regarding the project. So it didn't really matter what happened at the brain trust. There was still only one decision maker. And that um, was the uh, was the biggest issue why brain trust never worked at King. So this is the information that was given to me. I'm just portraying it. Laura, you worked at King. Uh, I don't know if you want to comment on this, but uh, oh. but that was that was the, uh, the the feedback given to me. I think I'm smart enough, no, not to step into that. I did not, I'm not going to go near that. I mean, 
Yeah. I, I, when I worked at King, I, I remember it very fondly. Um, they, they did want to, they wanted to hire great people. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I have to remember I was part of a, a live game. And I think the brain trust that you're talking about mostly was games in development. And I wasn't really, on, I, I didn't really see that side of it as much as I, as I was on um, maintaining and growing live titles. Yeah. And, and so. I didn't, and I'm not calling anybody out here. I'm just reiterating the information. It, it was very interesting to go through uh, this analysis, why King wasn't able to make brain trust work because on the surface and, and by all means, everybody who I met at King and I've you know done a bunch of talks there, it's very open, very, as I said, sort of a Swedish organization in that sense, very inclusive. Everybody gets to talk, uh, give opinions and everybody who worked there is super nice. So uh, it was interesting to hear this side of kind of like an inside information of one person telling why they couldn't make the other uh, brain trust to work, but uh, I'm not going to dwell on it. King is fantastic. Their franchises are doing great. By yeah. the way, they, they seem to be the only, the last man standing right now in terms of people that haven't suffered because of Apple's malfeasance, mm-hmm. right? So like they, their, their business is looking really, really solid yes. on ad, advertising as well as in that purchase. And I think it's because they are not, they're, they don't need UA anymore, right? They're just doing more brand marketing stuff. And they're and they have a loyal audience, and they know. That, I mean, the live ops is second to none for this type of game. So let's 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 talk about someone who isn't doing so well with these Apple changes, which is Apex Mobile. Oh, okay, fine, fine. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next one. So, launch of Apex Legends Mobile. I've been actually playing this game since the weekend. Very good game, like very very good game. I'm I'm not even playing COD Mobile right now. Just kind of switched to this one for a while. First month of launch, I think the game has been out for about a week. Uh, they got 50 million stalls during the launch month till date, so three weeks still left. Um, but they're never going to hit the COD Mobile numbers. I don't know if anybody will because COD Mobile got 150 million installs during the first month. Um, revenue is, of course, not the focus for these games at launch. COD Mobile didn't have, you know, I mean, it had quite impressive revenue numbers, but it, the, the uh, revenue per download wasn't that high. So... COD Mobile, during the first month when they got the 150 million installs, they made about 40 million net. Apex Legend has made one-tenth of that with, of course, many, many less installs. So it has uh, one-tenth of installs and one-tenth of the revenue. So revenue per download is the same as with COD Mobile, only one-tenth. No, no, that's not true. What do you mean? The revenue per download is actually better, as expected, because they have much more monetization in. It's almost double what it was for. It was all, double, but now that they got more installs, it it it's it's uh, so the starting point was way higher revenue per download. But I looked at the numbers today, and it has gone lower because they're getting so many new users that are not monetizing on the first date. So naturally, the revenue per download will go down initially, and then we'll start climbing back as as the uh, as the players are engaging and playing more. So um. Yeah, that's that's. Anyways, let's talk about what they could have done better. So, what they could have done better. I mean, it's a phenomenal game, fifty million till till date, and they have still several weeks left. So they're probably gonna end up somewhere at twenty five million during the, uh, the the launch month. Um, they they could have gotten probably more downloads if we look at the COD Mobile. So, um, the downloads right now are rapidly going down. I think they're down to one million a day from the from a couple of days ago when they were doing four million, and it's gonna probably go to somewhere at six hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand soon, and then lower to, uh, yeah, significantly lower. And it kind of feels like when you look at the download numbers that EA did this mega push for about one to two days and kind of took off their foot off the pedal. 
Um, I was trying to look at uh, a different date. I didn't have too much time to to analyze their marketing. I'll, I'll do it for the uh, for the next episode. But it seems like at least where they could have taken learnings from Brawl Stars is is influencer and community building because Apex Mobile at the moment has about hundred thousand YouTube subscribers uh, compared to like Brawl Stars. It's grown significantly, but it's 12 million. But even going back to the launch of Brawl Stars, they really engage with the influencers. They really engage with the uh, with the content creators, and and that kept on pushing the uh, the, the the installs, um, as well as all the marketing campaigns. I mean, they went hard for the first month. So we'll see in the coming seasons how this will pan out. I I I don't like seeing how the um, how the downloads are dropping so quickly in just a couple of days. I would have expected EA to kind of push it harder for at least week or two weeks before, uh, before you know, before taking foot off the pedal. What do you think? Okay, Mishka, again, your analysis is a little bit questionable. And so I might have to come <laughs> back next week and actually do it for reals. Um, but this is basically, if you go back to what we said about Apex, uh, this is exactly what we expected. The downloads are going to be mice nuts relative to Call of Duty, but the monetization should be better because they're attracting a more core audience and they're not broadening it out. I mean, Teamy went freaking nuts on Call of Duty. I mean, they just blasted it out there and they barely had any monetization design in the game at the time, right? And so there is no way that EA is going to spend the kind of money and do what, what what's required to get to even close to 100, 150 million installs, right? Because they they just don't, they don't have the, the stones to do it, right? And so... Um, so this is the result, right? And it's looking relatively anemic, but you can build a business on this. Like if 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 they start actually spending on UA and 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 understand that you're not going to get that payback this fiscal, maybe you know. But I think I think EA just doesn't know really what they're doing on mobile um, generally. So I'm hoping that we we just see more support and 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 maybe when the numbers start coming in and the monetization improves, that they start spending. But again. As I've said many times, shooters are not monetization machines. You know, this is not like a puzzle RPG or a turn-based RPG. You're not getting like $5 per install. You're getting fucking 25 fucking cents. Like, how do you spend against that, right? You have to have some faith, you know? And um, anyway, so I, I, shooters are tough. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. But the game is amazing. Like, the quality is good. It seems like their launch has been pretty smooth. From a tech perspective, as far as I know, I really haven't been covering too deeply. But anyway, we'll see. Good luck. So just, I, I just, EA yeah. has no mobile like uh, distribution team. Like they just don't. Like they can't launch games, and that's <laughs> been true. That's been true for forever. And like they structurally cannot fix that, right? And even with the glue acquisition, they didn't retain any of that talent. Everybody bolted. So it's like I don't know how they think that they yeah. can grow the mobile side. I, I just think, like, from my exposure to, to, to the, the the mobile studio, like, I, I it just feels like the the rot runs so deep. I don't know how they fix it. Like, there's just no they, – they have no way of growing games on mobile. Like, it's just impossible. Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new, untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well – you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launched WebShop for mobile games. 
This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the App Store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees, and regain control over distribution, Exola Web Shop for mobile games can help you succeed. Visit exola.pro slash DOF or go to the link in this podcast description. Excited about NFTs in the metaverse? Ready to be part of the future of gaming? Recur is looking for talented producers, product managers, game designers, economy designers, and engineers. Recur is building branded NFT collectibles and games with top IP, including College Sports, Paramount, Star Trek, Nickelodeon, Sanrio, and more, using its best-in-the-industry technology platform. Recur's platform streamlines the NFT collecting experience. No crypto or third-party wallets required. Simply buy an NFT with your credit card or Apple Pay. And Recur's robust gamification system creates infinite collecting and gameplay possibilities from which to make compelling play and earn experiences. Recur is backed by some of the biggest names in crypto and NFTs, including billionaire Stephen Cohn, Gary Vee, and Gemini, among others. Join us now and get ready to ride a rocket ship. Let's fucking go. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually even. I don't want to even go there too much, but I mean, but they, they yeah, they're they're struggling. Yeah, um, and, right. and Lilith. The, even if we talk about pu- launch of PUBG Mobile, that was another one done by uh, Lightspeed. Actually, the same developer as with this game, uh, PUBG Mobile, when it launched in 2018, did not have any monetization. Like you couldn't spend in that game, and they still went ham to grow that game because they knew that that getting that critical audience is the key, and then they would start monetizing. You know as after they retain and they were able to do that so uh it's a little bit of a shame that that ea did not push as hard didn't have you know as eric kress would say the stones to uh to over and to not over to just invest in the beginning and believe that that this game is 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 worth it and that they will see the return on the back end hey mishka i cleaned it up i totally cleaned it up i could have said the other word mm-hmm. but i said stone yeah you were right? you were very good. very correct I'm, I'm learning i'm growing so i'm growing as a person now yeah. but again fantastic game I, I truly enjoy playing it um everything about this game is is just really good i can't you know can't wait to to play again and but um anyway we'll see uh the other game that launched this month that was very big is dislight from lilith uh lilith is known as the developer of uh, afk arena uh of um uh rise of kingdoms uh of the uh what was the amazing war game we talked about their creative uh a lot the other uh, 4x game with the uh with the soviets and the nazis creative that was just fantastic uh anyway oh yeah uh, right so, yeah, yeah it's like a war path i think it was war path anyway uh so they launched uh the, yeah they launched this slide at the beginning of may uh they've gotten five million stalls which is pretty good for a launch month for an rpg and they've grossed already over 10 million in net revenue during this launch month. Uh, this is pretty much in terms of revenue, uh, beating AFK Arena, almost double of what AFK Arena was doing at launch. But at the same time, the installs are 10x compared to AFK Arena during the same period of time. So this is kind of like the uh, the other side of it, where Lilith is showing strong commitment to this game from the from the get go and um, investing really in in growing this game. Uh, but of course, they're also seeing monetization happening at the same time. Cress, do you feel this analysis oh. is closer? I know. I, 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 I downloaded this game. I tried to play it. I really wanted to get into it because I cannot stop playing. I, I want to stop playing what I'm playing now <laughs> and play something like this. But 
I, I couldn't get into it. Mm. But it is a beautiful game. Yeah. Clearly well made. And these guys know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. They're monsters. Um, all right. Uh, my last piece. Oh, actually, I have two, two more. So um, Marvel Snap. Uh, Marvel Snap was announced, I think, last week. They had a really, really fun announcement video. Uh, this is an upcoming card collecting game that features a huge roster of heroes from Marvel Universe, villains to collect, new, and they've opened up uh, a beta for signups. Um, these, the, what makes this interesting is not only the Marvel IP, but the fact that this was done by the team from Hearthstone. So this is the, uh, the second dinner uh, is, the, uh, is the developer. It's a great looking game. I was playing it today. Uh, thank you very much for, for giving me access through the uh, DOF Slack channel. Um, I love the sounds. I mean, the sound quality is amazing. It's kind of like Hearthstone in that sense, really invested into that. Uh, the launch trailer, as mentioned, was, was amazing. I was hyped up to play this because I love Marvel. Uh, I very much loved Hearthstone. Um, but my first impression, uh, please like, don't get offended and please do keep sending me the, the beta invites. I, I don't, I don't mean anything bad. Uh, doesn't, how would I say it? doesn't feel very mobile friendly. The, the cards are kind of small and there's a lot of them on the, on the, on the table. So it's kind of, you know, sometimes a little bit difficult to see. That's a small thing. Um, I think the biggest issue for me was that when I saw the, the release trailer and when I'm looking at Marvel heroes, I'm kind of expecting them to battle. And this game has no battling. Um, you just kind of place the cards on the table and it, it collects the points and, um, and they, they never like slam against each other. So they, there's no battle. There's, there's really no battle. So like Eric would put in like uh, a, a Venom and it's like has four points and he puts it on the other, on his side and I'm going to put in Carnage and Carnage is like five points. So I'm now I'm beating Eric because I have more points for my card than, than he does. So it's kind of like, anticlimactic, if you will. Uh, it brings me a little bit of the elements of, of Marvel Battle Lines, which, which, which was the, uh, the Nexon game that launched a few, few years ago, and it, it had an amazing launch trailer, great IP, and just didn't really get any downloads and, and kind of um, disappeared into the ether. This is an opinion of one person. Uh, others, you should definitely try this game. It's really well made. It's an amazing uh, team of developers. Um, not my cup of tea at, at this point. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. It's, um, I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. That shout out to my, yeah, shout out to Matt Weibel, who's a friend of the podcast. I think I'm mispronouncing his yeah. name as well, but, um, uh, and I didn't get any invite for the, uh, the beta, so I'd like to play it. I haven't played yeah, it. Well, I'm not going to get it. I actually, I yeah. like the snap games. I mean, I talk about this a bit later, but I, I actually, I like the games on Snapchat. I mean, I haven't played this one, mm -hmm. but. I think they're they're usually like small, cute. They lean. Oh, but this into is like this is not friends, a, this but... is this is not a Snapchat game. Sorry, this is just they just named it Marvel Snap for something. Oh, that's so mean. Sorry, I was actually. I, was <laughs> I would play this card game on Snapchat. I love these Snap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's actually true. It, it definitely sounds like a Snap Snap game, Snapchat game. But no, um, I'm. It's as simple as a Snapchat game. I would put it that it, way. It, that, yeah, and that's the irony of it. Is like they're trying to dumb it dumb it down a bit to make it more mass market or more appealing to a broader audience. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I hope, I hope people get to try it. I hope I'm, I'm wrong on this. I truly, you know, hope that I'm wrong on this, that it's actually an amazing game and everybody's enjoying it. I'm just stupid that I don't see the strategy behind it. 
but um, I didn't see the strategy behind it. So um, anyway, moving on. Last news, I got to talk about something about Finland. And by the way, we have like some kind of Finnish gaming awards today. And nobody, think about it, nobody sent me an invite <laughs> to the Finnish Game Awards. <laughs> After all the positive PR I've been doing, I'm getting none. Like I got a bunch of people asking me like, where's your suit? Are you not coming? I'm like, no, I didn't get the invite. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Dude. So uh, so this is my last Holy piece this. of news about Finnish gaming industry. Uh <laughs> You know, uh, so ever, ever, thank God, ever. I'm not going to cover it anymore. There's clearly no payback. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, so Stranger Things, uh, Puzzle Tales, which was a game by Next Games, has been removed from the app stores. It was launched maybe six months ago. Um, and then after it was launched, Netflix actually went on and acquired Next Games. Uh, the game never took flight. And, um, I, I did sell sell off some of my next game stock when it came out and I played it and I was like, oh my, I, I didn't have much. I didn't send it all, didn't sell it all, sold, sold a little bit. Uh, and I'm happy that I didn't sell it all. So anyways, uh, the game never really took flight and um, now it has been removed. But, you know, the stock of the company doubled as it was acquired by, by Netflix. And here's the thing. Rumor has it, a very persistent rumor from very credible sources here on the streets of Helsinki is that Next Games has been transformed or is making only premium games, which is very interesting because it insinuates, and, and Next Games was a free-to-play publisher since the beginning. Uh, so this means that the original news that Netflix games would be like the Apple Arcade are sounding now more and more true, that, that they've acquired a developer that makes premium games. So they're moving away from free-to-play. Rumor, again, that's that... Yeah, but they're not making free to play games now. That's so Netflix I'll, strategy. But I don't, I don't get it. So if these be standalone premium games, you have to pay for, it? or like they'd be included in the bundle, and they're just because because right now what they have is is a st- standalone games that you cannot access unless you have a Netflix subscription, right? Um, so I don't understand how if they made premium games and they published them as standalone properties, would you still need the subscription, or would you download them? And if if you download them and pay for them, that seems like a weird strategy. No, no, no. I, I think, no, this is just a Netflix strategy. They're doing premium games. They're not doing microtransactions. So this is this, this is just part of their overall yeah. strategy. But that's, but that's God, true now. They're still hiring like crazy. But that's true now. There's no, there's no microtransactions in the existing Netflix games. I think, so it sounds like they're making games for this existing paradigm, which is there's no IAPs, no ads in the game. It's just you, yes. you, need, this, you, you need the login to access the content, but the content is totally free and you just interact with it however you want. Yep. That sounds like. Yeah. That's not, that's yeah. not, I wouldn't call that premium. I wouldn't call that premium games. Then that's just uh, whatever. That's games for the subscription or something. Well, exactly. I, I guess you could call it that movie. So my assumption is that that Stranger Things Puzzle Tales is not dead. It's just being transformed into a game that could live under the subscription service. So and um, yeah, and apparently okay. they they they've pivoted because right. the whole company to make these type of games. So those are my updates. Um, All right. Let's talk snaps. All right, let's go. Get, get going, man. We are we are running behind. Let's do this. Let's get the snap. So this this has dominated my life for the last two days. Uh, so Holy snap um, at the so there was a J.P. Morgan tech conference a couple of days ago, two days ago. Uh, Evan Spiegel was uh, interviewed um, by one of their equity analysts, and he revealed that that they would be updating their guidance for Q two. Uh, to be lower than what they had issued 
uh, last earnings, the Q1 earnings. Um, it, or it's going to be, they, you know, he said, actually, they didn't update the guidance, but he said that the revenue in the EBITDA was going to come in lower than the lower end of the range that they provided in Q1, which itself was like a pretty big range and the low end was pretty conservative. Um, and the the explanation he gave for that was uh, the deteriorating, uh, you know, mac- macroeconomic conditions, right? So I'll just read what he said from the, at the conference. So he said, we've certainly made a lot of progress with our first party measurement solutions. It's something I think that the entire industry is grappling with. And we may never fully recover all signal. We take opt-in users who have opted into receiving personalized advertisements and allowed us to collect more information about the way that they use our service. And we use that to model what is happening with the opt-out audience. And we offer solutions like deeper integrations, like the Conversions API and the SnapPixel to help advertisers better measure the return on investment of their advertising campaigns. While we've made those solutions available, we're still working on driving adoption. And I think the bigger challenge is just trying to build that familiarity and trust with these new solutions. It's a big change in terms of the way that advertisers have been thinking about measuring the return on investment over the last 10 years. Okay, so I just want to kind of call out something really important here. So Snap issued its Q2 guidance when it announced Q1 earnings on April 21st, right? So that's about one month ago. So Spiegel said that revenue and EBITDA will land below the lower end of that range, which was provided on April 21st. So the revenue progression, as was articulated on Twitter by an account called Modest Proposal, is as follows. January 1st through February 23rd, 44% growth. February 24th through March 31st, 32% growth. March 31st through April 21st, which is the the guidance that they gave, 30% growth. April 21st through June 30th, 17% growth. (laughs) What changed? How could that possibly happen? If it was macro macroeconomic <laughs> conditions that forced them to reduce their guidance by reduce their growth estimate by half, that just doesn't. It's not plausible, right? Nothing changed in the macroeconomic uh, environment so dramatically in the last thirty days that you'd cut your growth forecast in half, right? So oh. I wrote I wrote a piece about this yesterday. Uh, went kind of viral. I don't, I don't think it was – the macro is just an excuse, right? It's an easy excuse. And, and people talking about Ukraine and stuff, that's all a distraction. That tends to impact rev, ad revenue on these platforms in, in the U.S. You, uh, or, but that's it's, also, it's that's also been happening longer than 30 days. Right? Uh. Exactly. That's not a recent thing, right? So what I, think, what I think happened, there's kind of two possibilities. One is they had to revisit the model, right? That wouldn't be unprecedented, right? Unity essentially – said the same thing. There's been a lot of change and, and these models have been adapted and, and, they, and there could have been bugs, right? There could have been some sort of issue um, in the data ingestion. There could have been some issue in the actual model. They could have been overcounting conversions. So an advertiser might have complained. They looked into it. They, they realized, okay, this model was broken. We need some sort of like retool. That could have happened. Apple could have come to them and said, look, we know what you're doing with advanced conversions. That's not compliant with ATT. You need to stop, right? And if you don't stop, we're going to punish you. That would have, been, would have been an intervention that would cause them to re-rate, you know, their guidance. Um, but it was there was something specific. It wasn't macro. Macro has been slowly I, deteriorating. Not it wasn't a specific fall off a cliff. Yeah. First of all, dude, blaming any type of macro thing right now on this is absolute nonsense. Like to say that in an earnings call is just such bullshit. It, it, it drives me insane. Right. Like like it has nothing to do with macro. It certainly doesn't have anything to do with Ukraine. Like, what the hell does Ukraine have to do with any of this? You know, like it doesn't even make sense. Right. And um, I was told that they actually were experimenting with fingerprinting and maybe they got maybe they got shit canned from 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 Apple or something. And maybe that's what caused them to grade this. I don't fucking know. But the point here is that they didn't mention IDFA in the entire press release. They didn't mention any of this privacy stuff. I looked through this stuff, right? Until they after were asked a question by someone and they finally like gave a real answer. Whereas 
But given platform changes, we have experienced signal loss, including IDFA and some IP addresses. And we expect this trend to continue, right? That is the reason. Just say it. Just say it. You know, why is it that they have to mess around with this? Every single earnings call was exactly the same this time, right? And they brought everyone down with them, right, on this earnings call. They were down 40%. Hell, the stock was already down 70% from its high. And it was down another 40%. So now it's down 83%, right? It's like... This is an effect of what you do when you change the entire playing field for advertising. And Apple did this arbitrarily to do their own thing. And this is what happens, right? And so we are having macro stock issues, but in terms of why these companies are um, uh, bringing down guidance and, and, and missing numbers and stuff is all because of Apple, right? And I, I, for some people still don't believe this. They still think that like, oh no, everything's fine. They'll figure it out still. And I'm still listening to clients talking to me about this. No, this is direct result and it's gonna get worse. It's not gonna get better. It is going to get worse continually. Um, anyway, I don't know. I, I don't know why I keep ranting about this every month, week, but every time I talk to people, it's like, it's like nothing's happened. Like people can't see the force of the trees on this shit, right? Anyway. Poor Snap. I thought Snap actually might pull something out and start like getting better at this, but I guess not. Right? They're in well, big trouble. I, I, so I don't even know how they could recover from something like this. Well, there, there's a couple. There's a couple. Of, one is Snap has 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 been uh, consistently very bad at providing guidance. Like they're just bad at it. Like they're it's very volatile. And oh, they, I they it, but <laughs> I think that the other the other thing is I think they just my my understanding is that. Um, like the snap leadership is very much focused on product in a way that like relegates like the ads team to like second tier status in the company. Uh, and I, I, I feel like the, I feel like the, the, the big vision product leadership dislikes ads. They have a lot of disdain for ads. They wish ads wasn't the revenue driver of the business, but they sort of like accept it as a necessary evil. And so I think there's probably just a disconnect between the problems that the ads business was facing um, and, and, you know, the, and, and the sort of like the, the, their ability to grapple with that. And I think they oversold advanced conversions. I don't think advanced conversions was never really that powerful of a tool. I think it was, I think it was kind of a, a, a sort of gray area workaround. Um, you know, and I think that probably that those, those, uh, chickens came home to roost. Right. And that's, that's probably part of this. Either right. it's a, a reckoning, either there was a direct intervention or it's kind of a reckoning with like, this is just not long-term tractable. Now keep in mind. WWDC is next month, right? If Apple wanted to sort of shore things up, I, clean things up, it would be doing it right now. Right, right, right. I think they're going to announce the bomb at WWDC, dude. They're just saying, we are blocking fingerprinting. You no longer can do this. And man, like, you think these stocks are bad now. Just wait. Okay, anyway. Um, I Oh, let's move on to uh, TikTok. Uh, first, because I, I want to talk about EA. A lot of people seem to be want to talk about this MNA stuff with EA, but uh, but we are uh, getting late. So let's do TikTok. TikTok stuff. Great. So Nicola. I actually, yeah, so I, I put this in as, as a topic. Um, and I put it in because I actually find, I think it's really interesting when platforms start moving into games, uh, mostly because I'm quite, I have, I have some strong feelings on it. Um, but TikTok, especially uh, because one, I don't, I don't know if anyone here is on TikTok, but I'm, I'm on TikTok. I'm, I'm a, I'm a watcher of content, and I can easily kill three, four hours of my evening on just scrolling through TikTok content. So I think the, it, 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 it is just so 
I hate using the word addictive, but it, it is it is very hard to turn it off. Um, and then two, I think it's interesting because we we've seen so many of the other kind of the major tech houses like Google, Amazon, Facebook, Meta, Netflix try to break into the spaces that we discussed before and with Netflix moving games and and I I've yet I mean correct me if I'm wrong I think I think Eric you have a couple opinions on this I don't think anyone's really done it successfully yet I wouldn't say any of these tech platforms are are making a name for themselves in games or or necessarily lighting the way on what what should be done as as the as a great approach to um, adding games to your non gaming platform so well we, we, the only exception to that is WeChat and WeChat and China so China's Done had some success with these type of HTML5 tchotchke games. That's fair. Otherwise, no. I haven't actually played. So I guess let me correct and say for the Western markets, because I actually have WeChat, but I have not played the WeChat games. Um, so I pulled this from Reuters, and uh, basically TikTok is moving into games. They're starting with uh, they're starting with Vietnam mostly because they have young they have a young market. They're considered tech savvy. And I think this is step one of rolling out into kind of focusing on Southeast Asia as a whole. Uh, they have one HTML5 game live now that at least is available in the US. It's from Zynga called Disco Loco. I played that. Ha- has anyone here else played that? Or am I the only one kind of looking at Snap and TikTok games? <laughs> yeah, okay. um, no, this is actually really, this is an important thing. Like, I would. If, if something gets traction on this, this is going to be actually something interesting. It's just it hasn't happened yet. So like, no, it, it hasn't. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, you know, I played the Zynga Disco Loco game. I mean, it's pretty basic. It's very much, you can tell it's very still proof of concept that I would say it, it, they're going for younger audience because it's a similar premise to Subway Surfers, but a lot simpler. Um, and and I think it has, it has a, a ways to go. So as kind of we know, games are sticky platforms I think can really this is a great way to have enough to increase their revenue um what again going back to kind of my my imp- uh, how I'm impressed by TikTok um what I didn't realize is how big their DAO is so they, I mean they are they put like kind of the biggest games to shame I mean they have like 700 million DAO um with their with large with audiences larger in Southeast Asia and um, and just to kind of give a comparison of scale I mean I looked at Candy Crush and the Sensor Tower. I mean, their DAO is twenty million, which nothing. I mean, for a games perspective, that's nothing to nothing to sniff at. But it is significantly smaller than what TikTok is able to to bring in. Um, and so I, I went back and I had a look at what the other platforms had done, uh, and why, like, kind of why why no one's kind of found the secret sauce to this. And I know Amazon started in in, in twenty twelve. I don't think they didn't really. I think they released three PC games. Four years later, nothing I think is is people are playing to this day. Facebook launched Instant Games in 2006. I know a couple of people here, um, well, not necessarily here, but I think Adam was looking at Instant Games at one point. I don't think anything was, I don't, I mean, even Candy Crush was looking at Instant Games. I don't think anything has necessarily stuck. Um, I feel like there's a little bit of revival of it now. I, there's, I think Justin formerly, it was higher up, but Zynga is now looking at um, I think you had him on the, the show or a podcast, uh, Mishka, for uh, m- bringing back Messenger games. Netflix, which I want to, yep. yep, I want to touch on a little bit later, is I know they looked at. So they did Bandersnatch in 2018, 
and then which was kind of interactive step into games. And then recently they did the Cat Burglar, which skewed younger. Also, it looks like the kind of the second iteration from their learnings on Bandersnatch. And now they have the downloadable separate games. Um, but I've, I've played a bunch of them. They're okay. If if I was Netflix, I think I would take a completely different approach. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Google, same thing. And then Snapchat, I mean, I know they're not big yet, but I actually think their games are the most interesting for any of the platform games, which is why I thought the Marvel game, Marvel Snap was for Snapchat and was really excited at someone else making games for Snapchat. But alas, that's, that's not the case. Um, what I think makes TikTok a little bit different is their approach is, their, I think what they're taking for an approach is, is slightly different than what the big, what Amazon and Google have done so far is, I know their their audience, they're targeting a Southeast Asia audience. And what I think they've done that's clever is their their Chinese counterpart for, for uh, ByteDance has actually already has games integrated. And the person that seeming that has was in charge of that, they've now hired to do that for TikTok, is my understanding. So they're taking someone who's actually been on the grounds. And I think what the larger platform houses have done, just kind of quickly looking around, is usually they bring in a big executive to kind of come in, make games, maybe hire a team, hire development studios. But I'm not sure that all of these people have actually made games before. And then they go in with this approach that may probably simplifies how difficult it is to actually make a working game. And then you're making this game on a platform that's not necessarily made for games. <laughs> um, and so I, my, why I'm bullish on what's going to happen with TikTok is one, they have a huge audience. They're targeting, they're working they have a big audience in a specific market of which that they are they have not only brought in someone who's done this before for their other for their sister company or rather their parent company but then they also acquired a company called Moonton and, and that's a Shanghai based developer that has launched a game called Mobile Legends Bang Bang full disclosure I have not played this game but I did look it up and it is it is a it's a huge game. It has 40 million DAO across all platforms, and a majority of their DAO is in Southeast Asia. So I feel like their approach is already a bit better, even though it's not as kind of this grand big thing that, you know, they want to make games for everyone. I feel like they're starting, they're already starting with in a direction that's a little bit of a leg up and a little bit more thoughtful than potentially some of the other companies had had approached this. So I'm I mean, again, I really like TikTok. I would love to have TikTok-based games. The reason I like Snap games is they make them, they're actually using the people like you can play with other people. They're like these little micro games that are social, not too, they're not too thought heavy. They're not, they're not shooters. They're not things that you have to be good at, but they're, but they're, 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 they're more mass market. And that's what, I mean, that's what these platforms are going for. So I'm excited. Oh, that's actually an interesting right. point in terms of the uh, the game investments because ByteDance has been, I mean, ByteDance, the, uh, the the company that that owns TikTok, um, they have been investing into, as you said, the companies like Moon, was it Moonton? Uh, Moonton, Bang yeah. Bang. That's a, yeah. That's a MOBA uh, currently under lawsuit from Riot once again. Uh, yeah. Due to the, uh, <laughs> but due wait, to what, getting so one, too one inspired. Uh, yeah. The Tencent, so they they actually, I believe, I was looking at this, Tencent uh, sued the actual CEO of Moonton. And then I believe they tried to acquire the company and then they lost out to TikTok. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, that's that's rough. Um, and, and I know that ByteDance has been doing a lot of investment also um, in, in Europe and actually in shooter companies. Like I, I believe that they've 
they've invested into um I'm blanking out, but there was a there's a pretty big um shooter developer here in, in, in Europe. They've done uh Shadow Legends and and um Dead Triggers, th- those type of games. They have a pretty significant DAU, uh, at least for those games. Shooter games, and it's also a developer that that recently announced that they're moving off mobile and actually going into PC. Um, so shooter developer that that ByteDance has invested into. So um what I, I get the point of of TikTok games, that's definitely a very interesting and impossible growth area. But at least ByteDance has been active in investment, you know, in, in more traditional and even I would say core games like MOBAs and shooters. So so they are definitely looking at at gaming as a as a wider sector, to my knowledge. Uh, by- ByteDance was a, a All right. so very very aggressively for a while. I think they slowed that down though recently. Probably yeah. as they yeah, yeah. spin up the, um, the gaming platform on ten on uh, TikTok. Yeah, and, and they had a they had internal development in, in some Chinese studios. Like I've seen some some games in development from from ByteDance that are like really high quality shooters. So so they are they're definitely you know um, active in the gaming space for sure. At least been. Um, this is something that I saw doing slush. So that, that's a few months ago. Okay. I have, I have investigated this three times fully, right? For Warner, for Kabam, and I think even at EA days for some reason, maybe, maybe that was too long ago, but there was some other, I think, it was, oh, no, no, it was one of my clients was interested in WeChat and whatever. Anyway, and all the research that I did on this says basically the same thing. There's two big problems with these HTML5 games. First, they're not sticky enough or deep enough to keep people engaged for longer than a few minutes, right? Or a few days, right? Which is a challenge, right? Well, the three things actually. Uh, monetization is a challenge because you can't monetize games within your app without breaking terms of service for Apple and Google. And so there's this huge like challenge with that. But the third thing, the biggest thing is that the app itself does not lend itself towards what is required for discovery as well as um, um, uh, reconnecting to the games themselves. So WeChat is a very unique platform that people use all the time. And the use case is that they're using it all day, every day, discovering games, doing security, buying shit. Like they, they're on this thing constantly, right? There's no app like that in the West, right? That, that, can ha- that, that has that kind of like DAU that you're talking about. And that's why, but games work in that, context because they're always on it. They're getting introductions. They're getting notified, right? But people don't use Facebook like that. They don't use even um, um, some some of the apps. I guess they kind of use it that way. But anyway, not enough the way WeChat is used. Having said that, what makes TikTok interesting is because people do use it like that. Like lunatics like you spending four (laughs) hours of your life looking at stupid videos constantly, right? My, My daughter's the same way. And so in that context, this shit might work, right? Um, but the other challenges are still there, right? The, the, the changing the monetization design and, and how you actually can do the transactions would be hard, generally speaking. If it's advertising based, you know, obviously that's good. But how much upside is there from an, in an advertising context, you know? Um, but uh, but I, that, that's why I think this stuff is interesting. I think, yeah, TikTok, if anybody is likely going to be able to pull this off, right? Um, they just have to design the right type of games and figure out the curation discovery how it's interfaces within their traditional app i believe playco is one of the uh, one of the developers that is doing uh games for tiktok like they were going for after many different instant games platforms and i know that they that was the company that raised 100 million at 1 billion valuation like a couple of years ago 
And uh, I think they released uh, um, <clears throat> a game on on TikTok. So, yeah, so there are definitely other other publishers there. Anyway, should we All right. move to EA? All right. Yes, I think I could do this in five minutes. Let's okay. do it. All right. So, first of all, uh, EA is reportedly seeking a sale or merger. This was an announcement from this company called Puck, right, which I've never heard of, to be honest. But uh, Puck is like a collection of bloggers that dedicated technology, and they all about, like, you know, I don't know, doing like hit pieces or whatever. I don't know what it, what they're about. But anyway, he says Puck says that EA will they're seeking a deal to, and Andrew will, Andrew Wilson will become a CEO, like remain the CEO. So they approached Disney in March uh, to form a more meaningful relationship, but Disney didn't want to move forward. Um, and then there's been this idea going around about a merger between EA and ESPN because of sports, but that's been around since like. 2000 since the 90s dude so that's bullshit that, that they don't know what they're talking about but the one thing that was really interesting was Comcast was close to a deal um they want to merge nbc universal with ea and uh, roberts uh roberts would take control but andrew wilson would become ceo uh but they couldn't agree on a price and so they moved on um which which actually makes sense because that's a really tough deal to do um Basically, Puck claims that EA has been on a quest to find a sale of merger since the Microsoft acquisition of Activision. So EA declined to comment. So first off, as I said before, these conversations have been going on forever. They discussed this stuff with Disney, with Time Warner, anybody that's big enough, Comcast, AT&T. Like, I was there when it was they were discussing these things, right? So it's not like this is something new, right? And obviously, yes, this merger probably added a little bit to that. Second. There's no way in God's green earth that Andrew Wilson is going to be manage a media company outside of gaming, right? There's no way, right? Now, I've, it's preposterous, right? And so I've been advised from my good friend, Stan Kwan, not to leave it at that, right? But besides his BMI, it's not his BMI or his fancy <laughs> voice, but there's no way he's going to be a CEO of an of a, of a, of a entertainment company. Just saying, okay? That's ridiculous. All right. I, I know I've covered this before, and I actually looked it up, and it was like fucking Twig 42, right, about why EA would never get acquired. And the rules still are the same, but things have changed a bit. First of all, gamers don't want to work for media companies because they get relegated to second-class citizens, and it's not a fun place to be, right? And two, because all the political power of these media companies is centered around the movie makers and the IP holders, right? And so... And they're ego, they're egomaniacs, right? And they don't want to deal with gaming, right? So these synergies that people think you have with different licenses doesn't work internally with these crazy people that are are, are, are Star Wars, you know, license holders or you know, Marvel Star Wars. It's freaking hard internally to make this stuff happen. Because I, I and the priorities are always around the. There is, I mean, I don't know if you you've maybe had this problem, but also if you're trying to make a game for people that have not made games, trying to explain why gaming works or why something to work with someone that does not have that experience or comes from a, me a separate media or entertainment industry can be incredibly difficult and it's just infuriating at times. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's almost untenable, right, for game designers to deal with with that kind of situation, right? Um, like, like LucasArts is always the example I give because it is the one I know the most. And, and, and like when they were trying to get budgets for Force Unleashed to the game, they were get, kept getting their budget pulled from movie, movie and TV stuff. Right. And that's just not the way how gaming works or you make a game anyway. 
Um, game companies are generally like fiercely independent and they don't want to be part of a broader org. They want to do their own thing. Um, and this may be a little bit, well, this isn't controversial. I was, took my notes from literally from 42, but like IPs from when you bought, when you're bought by a big company like Disney, then they want you to build the IP games with the IP that they have. And those IPs don't just necessarily yeah. lend themselves to the games that designers want to make. Right. I mean, that's, it's a very obvious thing to say, but like, that's the whole point of the synergy, right? But that that synergy is, makes it untenable for these game designers, right? So it's it's crazy, right? Um, and and then the other thing that I keep telling you guys is that there have been some most epic fails in this particular category, right? WB is actually probably the best example of success, but they've failed numerous times on this. Fox Interactive failed. Disney failed twice, epically. Epically, they failed twice. They spent jillions of dollars trying to get into interactive and they failed twice, right? LucasArts failed. Hasbro Interactive failed. NBC Universal was a disaster, right? It's just, this floor is littered with corpses, right? This shit doesn't work, right? But on paper, it works. Um, and uh, so so anyway, so now having said all that stuff, the fact is that the, the things have changed, right? And so like people are more receptive. It. Their people are going after you know, the tech companies are getting more aggressive on, 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 on the content side. You know, they're looking for subscription businesses and figuring out ways of, of getting as much cu you know, customers as possible within the subscriptions. Eight Activision has been taken off the board, right? Like in an epic way by, you know, $70 billion. So EA is the next logical choice. And, and, and if they really do want to make a, a, a significant move into this space, then EA is the only one really, you know, that, that can, can do that. So, I'm not suggesting that it's off the table. I'm just suggesting there's so many challenges with it that it's very, it still remains relatively unlikely unless you don't care about destroying EA. So if EA were to become part of Disney, I think EA would no longer really be EA anymore, right? Um, and then finally, and I know I've said this a million times, is that when I was at EA, I heard Larry Probe specifically say, over my dead body will be, be acquired by media companies, right? Because they would destroy the company that we built and we're much best, better off on our own. I still think there's aspects of that still around in the space, but that's that, that mentality has changed. Um, Andrew Wilson, for instance, probably could give a crap about that kind of mentality. Like, I think he's basically out, out for, you know, shareholder value and out for, you know, him leading, you know, bigger company and, and that sort of thing. But, but anyway, I think that there's still that kind of like mentality out there. That's it. Could it be a tech company that acquires them, like Amazon? Um, yeah, no, Amazon is the only one that I think has the resources to do it. I think they're just also, again, under scrutiny uh, from regulators that would make that a little bit challenging, right? They couldn't, they did, they weren't allowed to acquire the, that other media company, which I'm totally blanking on, mm -hmm. MGM, right? Yeah, yeah, but, they were really challenged. But but in this sense, they would be essentially bolstering up their games division that hasn't really taken flight. I mean, they, they released that one MMO that had a good start. Was it new yeah, world? But, uh, but you no. Know. Yeah. I've said this before. Yeah. They've epically failed in, in video games. There's no doubt about that, but um, uh, I, I don't get any sense that they are getting more aggressive in mm. this case, but that could change. Yeah. Cause there's always a conversation. I mean, they have a subscription service, Amazon prime and, and all, you know, everything else with Amazon music and, Amazon movies, et cetera. Uh, and then there's the Disney subscription service. It kind of makes sense because there's almost like a war for content creators and, and EA has proven to be a fantastic content creator, especially the type of creator that works really well with uh, existing IPs. I mean, 
Star Wars is, is a great example how well they've they've executed, as well as their ability to create IPs. So uh, it's a it, it is a fantastic creator uh, of games. So, yeah, and and uh, the last point I'll make, which I totally forgot about, was that like Disney has lost almost like half of their market as a, as an acquirer. Disney has mm-hmm. lost almost half of their no, they have lost half of their market cap, right? So they're worth 187 billion, right, or something something along those lines. EA and even Take Two can relatively maintain their their market cap. So these deals are getting bigger and bigger and more dilutive for uh, these media companies, and I think that might be untenable for an acquisition of this size. So they're at 38 billion with a premium. It's like 50 billion. Mm-hmm. I just don't think Disney is going to be willing to give up that much of their equity um, for gaming. Yeah, it's it's also Not for Amazon. Amazon, <laughs> Amazon, that's like mice nuts. Yeah, exactly. Amazon could do it in like. They have that shit. They have that kind of money underneath the underneath their mattress, right? but, um, <laughs> but these the media companies are different. Yeah, yeah. It's a it, it really is how they view the market and how they view gaming. Because if they view gaming as something that is incredibly strategic for the future, um, then then it makes sense for them to do big acquisition like this. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how how Disney is approaching this. Do they believe that their existing uh, verticals are strong enough to to endure? now and in the coming next hundred years or, or are they still wanting to go for games for the third time in a in a row and, and see if they can actually acquire a big publisher existing one put it on the umbrella and just run it as a separate division that could make sense so on paper it makes sense but but your points are are very valid all right all right, all right. well thank you laura you survived <laughs> it was it was one good fun twig. All right. So on to the next episode. Uh, We'll keep it a shorter and with less technical issues. So thanks, Thanks everybody, for listening. Thanks, Laura, for joining the podcast. Uh, We'll see you again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye.